0: Happy Friday, Fam. This is Pastor Eric with this week's edition of Friday Grace and Truth. This has been a really fun week at the Story Church for lots of reasons, but especially because we kicked off our summer Bible study on the book of Revelation on Wednesday night. We had packed houses at both our campuses at River Oaks and at Timber Grove. People came out in droves to learn about the strangest book in the whole Bible, the book of Revelation. And I want to thank everybody that showed up. Uh, Pastor Gio and I had a great time teaching that to first class. Also, guys, this Sunday at The Story is going to be incredible. Uh, We're going to continue our message series, Another in the Fire, Trusting God to do the impossible. Uh, This message on Sunday is going to be about Rahab the prostitute. It's going to be, I think, really, I think it's going to be really touching and really approachable. So if there's somebody in your life you've been thinking about inviting to The Story, This would be the perfect Sunday for their first visit. So be sure to extend that invitation to them. Uh, Tell them you'll pick them up and take them home after or take them to brunch or whatever it takes. And then we'll see you all at the story um, at one of our services this Sunday morning. Now, let's get to this week's reflection. It's called The Last 5%. What are the things that you wish you could change about yourself? And I don't mean superficial things like I wish I was rich or I wish I was thin. Or I wish I could grow a beard. The last one is mine, by the way. I wish I could grow a beard. But what I really mean with the question is, what do you wish you could change about the person you have become? Your personality, your tendencies, your character, your habits. I know that the world tells us we're all supposed to love ourselves just the way that we are, but there's nothing wrong with sitting down and taking stock of the things that you'd like to change about yourself In fact, that habit can be the beginning of a turnaround. Making that list can be the beginning of a new start. So one of the recurring themes uh, in the stories that people tell me as their pastor, whenever they're struggling in part of life is, um, I just don't understand why I am the way that I am. I don't know how I got to this point. I can't seem to control this part of myself. And most of the people that come to my office in some kind of crisis are generally highly functioning and well-adjusted folks, you know, 95 or so percent of their lives is under control. But there's this other 5 to 10 percent of their character that's flawed in ways that, that that they just can't seem to get their hands around. They can't seem to control it. Just that one little part of them, you know, um, while the rest of them is really under control. And they feel powerless over that small part of Who they are. And so they usually will hide it or not do anything about it until there's a crisis and they can't hide it anymore. And they're forced to take a long, hard look in the mirror. And when we really dig into that 5% of us, it can almost always be traced back to some kind of dysfunction or pattern in our families, our family of origin. Every family is dysfunctional, as we talk about a lot at the story, right? and every dysfunction takes a, a different form and some of us know very well that we come from dysfunctional families because the problems in our families were out in the open everybody saw them problems like divorce and addiction and abuse and other things that are public oftentimes others of us come from families where everything seemed normal on the surface And whenever our friends and neighbors looked at our family, they saw like a Rockwell painting of perfection. And they told us, we're so lucky to have such a perfect family, but we knew the truth. And we rolled our eyes on the inside. Because when you're from one of those families, you know the secrets. And just like other people inherit their family's overt dysfunction, you've inherited your family's expertise at hiding problems while projecting perfection. That's covert dysfunction. I don't really believe in family curses per se, but the Bible does say that God visits the sins of one generation upon subsequent generations to the third or fourth generation. For example, in Deuteronomy 5 verses 8 through 10. And this concept just doesn't sit right at first, right? It doesn't seem fair at all. Why would God punish you for the sins of your parents or your grandparents? And the simple answer is, he wouldn't, and he doesn't. Now, the Bible's clear that God judges people based only on our hearts and our actions. The word visits in a passage like that can also mean inspects or counts that that same word in Hebrew is most commonly found in scripture to describe a census when something or people are counted. And so the Bible doesn't say necessarily that God punishes you for your parents' sins. It says that God sees them, those sins, and accounts for the effects of your family's generational sins and the effects that they've had on you. All of us are majorly affected by the patterns of sin in our families. And even though scientists may not use the word sin in their studies, their, their research does back this up. Dozens of major studies over the past recent years have shown that if a parent is alcoholic, for example, the child is four to six times more likely to develop alcoholism in adulthood. Eight out of ten children of morbidly obese parents will themselves become morbidly obese. If parents are divorced, the child is 40% more likely to get a divorce in adulthood. Sons of sexually promiscuous fathers are twice as likely to cheat on their wives. Between one-half and one-third of all child abuse victims become abusers themselves in adulthood, according to one study. A boy who sees his dad beating his mother physically is five times more likely to grow up to be an abuser researchers have identified literally hundreds of habits and tendencies and coping mechanisms and yes sins is what i would call many of them these things that can all be linked to your family's genetic coding or to what you learned from watching your family when you were a kid when you look at your own family history i'd like to ask you what patterns of sin or or character flaws begin to emerge to be honest with yourself, with God, about what you see when you examine and analyze your family past. Men, for example, consider the other men in your family, your father, your grandfathers, your uncles, your brothers. What unholy habits or ungodly tendencies do some of them or most of them share in common? And women, you can look at the women in your family and ask the same question when I began to take a hard look at the men in my family, some trends started to surface and it wasn't easy for me to come to terms with this, but I realized that most of the men on both sides of my family actually have been described as hotheads with hot tempers. There's also a tendency among some men, if not most men in my family to procrastinate, to run away from intimacy, to never seek or want vulnerability. Um, tendencies to be impulsive in terms of what we buy or how we eat or things like that. So there was these tendencies that I noticed in my family and, and I don't want you to get the wrong idea. The men I'm talking about were and are all good men. Generally God fearing, devoted, loving, honest men, 95% of the men in my family. I mean, 95% of these men are good. And, and the, 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 the good men that I'm talking about, 95% of their character is godly. And, and if I'm totally honest, I can detect and name the same tendencies within my own heart. And I confess that like other men in my family, I'm often tempted to give God most of me, almost all of me, 95% of me, but not all of me. And I prefer, if I'm honest, to keep that last 5% of myself a secret. But that's not how faith works, right? Jesus didn't offer 95% of himself on the cross. He gave us all of him in the hopes that we might give him all of us. So why do we hedge our bets with him? By holding back that last shameful part of our lives. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20 says, So if anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. Everything old is passed away. See, everything has become new. I'm so inspired by this promise of God that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. And so I've decided to spend part of this summer doing four things to break with the shame of my past, and I'll share them here. First, and I just want to say I'm inviting you by sharing this. I'm not just divulging personal information. I want to invite you to join me on this quest, okay? The first step along this journey involves identifying your family's strongholds. And patterns and confessing them. Every family has some particular struggle or seven or a thousand (laughs) and knowing what those struggles are and then confessing them to God is half the battle here, guys. The second thing I'm focusing on and is that it's important to assume personal responsibility. The easiest thing to do when you're affected by your family's generational sins is to blame somebody else, <laughs> right? To blame your parents. It's my dad's fault. I have a temper. It's my mom's fault. I have a low self-image. My relationship problems are my parents' fault or my grandparents' fault. No, no, you're no one's victim. You are accountable for your own decisions. And the sooner that you come to terms with that fact, the better for you and everybody else. Third, uh, the third step involves trusting the sufficiency of God's grace. And this is where we turn the corner because it means believing that Jesus really is who he said he was. The son of God sent to reconcile sinners like me to God. Romans 5.8 says Christ died for us while we were still sinners. And that proves how much God loves us. And when you finally believe that Jesus's death and resurrection mean what he said they mean. You realize that the grace of God isn't just for other people, it's for you. And it covers your mistakes. God has already forgiven your sins and you're free from the shame. Finally, the fourth thing I'm focusing on myself this summer is that once you trust that God's grace is sufficient for you, it's time to alter the redundancies. And that's just a fancy word, uh, a fancy way of saying it's time to do something different. It's time to break the mold. We all have a default setting that we're hardwired for. You know, sometimes our worst flaws are hidden in those default settings. You know, you get anxious, you get sad, so you reach for junk food to make you feel better. You're, you feel bored, you feel unfulfilled, and so you reach for porn or you reach for an affair or you reach for whatever Things feel like they're spinning out of control and you don't know what to do, so you reach for the bottle or you reach for whatever. There's a conflict at home. Instead of addressing it head on, you shut it down internally and you get passive aggressive or you isolate yourself instead of leading your family toward reconciliation. Listen, Jesus wants to change you, but you have to be a willing participant in the change. This means willingly switching off of default mode. Instead of doing the same thing and reacting the same way to certain triggers, you choose to take one step down a different and better path. You probably already know what you have to work on. You probably already got some kind of an inkling of what there is to to work on in your life. You've probably, in fact, already tried to work on it before and you failed. And that might be what's keeping you from trying again friends, this time can be different because this time you're not going to lean on your own willpower. You're not going to lean on your own ability. You're leaning solely and simply on the grace of God. So don't give up. Don't give in. Don't let anything hold you back from pursuing the change you know God is calling you to pursue. Don't let anything stand in your way of giving that last 5% of yourself to God. Today can be the beginning of the end for the person you used to be because Jesus makes all things new. And when you put your faith in him, you are a new creation. That's all for this week, everybody. I can't wait to see you on Sunday at The Story, either at River Oaks in person or Timber Grove as well. I'd love to see you and whoever you're going to invite. So bring them on have a great weekend. We'll see you later. Bye, everybody.